Now all across North Carolina, it's Carolina Newsmakers. Here's your host, Don Curtis. Well, hello, everybody, and welcome back to Carolina Newsmakers. Delighted to be back with you again this week, and also delighted to welcome back the treasurer of the state of North Carolina, Dale Falwell, the 28th treasurer of the state of North Carolina. Uh, he is now almost, well, he's in his fourth year of service, and uh, he uh, is a frequent guest on this program, and uh, we wanted to have him on to give us an update because things are changing so rapidly in the world of uh, state government as far as finance that uh, we wanted to get an update on exactly where we are and where we're standing. And so, Dale, uh, the COVID-19 situation, of course, has changed a lot of things, and uh, the impact on state government is uh, is huge. So sort of give us a backdrop on exactly what uh, is happening and where we stand right now. Well, Don, thank you for having me. And, uh, and, and where we stand is that I wouldn't trade places with any other state treasurer in the United States in terms of our, our, our financial security. Obviously, we're facing shortfalls as, as people have been locked in place. Uh, they can't consume. And when you can't consume, you're not, you're not generating the income or the gas or the sales or the occupancy taxes, which are necessary to fund things that your listeners care so deeply about, like public education public safety, public works, and public roads. So uh, as kind of give an update, uh, since we were last together, we have about $2 billion uh, still sitting at the Treasury for COVID CARE Act money, awaiting more direction from the General Assembly and the Office of State Management and Budget. Your listeners may ask, uh, you know, why is it sitting there? And the answer is, uh, we're waiting for Congress to possibly technically correct the legislation they already passed so that this money can be used uh, to make up budget shortfalls, uh, both at the state and the local level. So that's where we are. We ended last fiscal year, uh, into June 30th, with over $2 billion of budget surplus. And as your listeners have heard, uh, we're facing nearly over a $3 billion budget shortfall. So these billions are going to start to add up. And we have a billion dollars in the rainy day fund. And I don't know what it's been like in Raleigh, uh, I'm here during the week, but it's rained a lot on the weekends in Winston-Salem. So rainy day fund is something that's important and our thoughts and prayers go out to those on the, uh, on our coastline who have suffered through the recent storms. And uh, we, as we sit here today, we still have approximately not exactly $3 billion of unemployment trust fund money. And we're starting to hear Don for the first time since I've been on your show of, of other states who are going to be running out of state unemployment trust fund money. And, and obviously anything can happen in North Carolina, but it should be reassuring and provide some certainty to your listeners that at least uh, as the backlog gets clear, the money's there to pay them. Well, you know, uh, as our, uh, as our listeners know, North Carolina and uh, our local municipalities are all bound by a balanced budget requirement. Now, that doesn't mean that we can't go out and approve bond issues and finance things, but as far as day-to-day operations, it has to be a balanced budget. So any help that we get during this period of time really has to come from Congress because Congress, in, in, in our position, is the only one that can actually borrow money and dip into the till, so to speak, to keep things running. And uh, uh, I know there's also action going on right now in Congress about a second or actually a third uh, movement now. Where does that stand and how will that affect North Carolina? Well, uh, obviously it's something that has uh, 
different proposals have come through the, the House and the Senate, and you know, a large part of those proposals have to do with the extension of, of unemployment benefits. But there's also a lot of discussion about the aid to states, cities, and, and counties uh, across the United States. There seems to be a, a thought that um, the one reason they're not thinking about doing it on the on the aid part is that you know they don't want uh, North Carolina's money to be subsidizing some of the uh, unfortunate choices that some of the other states have made over the last 40 years regarding their pension systems and and uh, and their health plan and systems for public service employees. I can tell you that if they block grant this money and send us the money based on our the amount of citizens we have, I can guarantee you once that money crosses our border, Don, it's never going back to any other state. Uh, I think we have the ability to and the common sense to make sure that, uh, that we use that money for the right purposes. So uh, the main thing I need them to do is to loosen some of the strings that were previously attached to the money that's already been sent back so that we can fill some of these budget shortfalls. And since I met with you last, just to give you an example, if you were to drive from where we are right now to Terrell County, uh, to the Outer Banks, we go through Terrell County and uh, the number of people in Terrell County today uh, because of how it's depopulated uh, is about equal to the size of the Myers Park High School in, in Charlotte. And uh, what I haven't told your listeners is that Terrell County has suffered a 25% decline in their sales tax revenues. And sales taxes is what drives the funding for public education, public safety, public works, and public roads. So uh, as I say all this to you is that when you have that little population in a county, there's nowhere to go to make up those shortfalls. So that's why this whole discussion about backfilling the budget shortfalls of counties and cities is so important. Well, you mentioned uh, that one particular county. How many counties are uh, basically in that same situation? Maybe not to the uh, the degree that Terrell County is, but uh, of North Carolina's 100 counties, uh, I've been told that about 20% uh, of the counties uh, have most of the growth and most of the population and the other 80% are either flat or declining. And it would seem to me that they may be uh, more subject to suffering uh, uh, real deficit that they have no hope of making up than the counties who are in that uh, 20% block. Is that true or well, uh, could you elaborate? Yeah, you're exactly right. And uh, and and I'll say this, you know, in, in, in terms of, 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 of a, a person's body. Uh, we all appreciate and understand the importance of having a strong torso. And if you think about our torso being Mecklenburg, the triad and the triangle, uh, we have a very strong torso to your point about the statistics, but we have to have strong legs and arms uh, to be the whole body. And um, that's why what's happening in these counties and cities is, is, is so critical. Uh, of the 100 counties, we probably have uh, 14 that are that were on the watch list before COVID-19. And as we await the, the audits, because the fiscal year just ended five, six weeks ago, as we await those audits, I'm sure that that list will be expanding. Well, uh, unemployment claims, of course, are, are tremendously up right now because a number of people have been displaced. Uh, you know, this is sort of a boom or bust economy. There's a number of segments in the economy where people are actually looking for employees. And then there's a number of segments, for example, restaurant workers and so forth that are suffering. So where, 
where do we stand on our unemployment claims in North Carolina, and, and uh, what's the prospect for being able to fund all that? Well, uh, I wish I could give you a better update uh, of where we are on the backlog. I'm no longer in charge of that agency, so uh, but but I can I can tell you that they're working as hard as they can uh, to to work through the backlog. Uh, I think we need to spend some extra time today, Don, talking about the people that make their living with their hands and their back and their feet. And that's really who you're asking about. Uh, there are a lot of hardworking people in North Carolina who obviously use their hearts, their minds every day when they do their job, but they have to do their job with their hands, their back and their feet. And these, these, this is the segment of the population that I'm most worried about as we attempt to flatten the economic curve that COVID has thrown at us. This is uh, kind of a strange economy because uh... Uh, you know, some people have referred to it as a re recession, and in many cases, in many people, it is a recession. In fact, in some cases, it's not an outpression. But for the economy as a whole, it's uh, it's not a repression, a depression, because the stock market is uh, has apparently turned from a bear to a bull again, and uh, the 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 stock market has pretty much recovered whatever losses that it suffered. Uh, what, uh, how do you explain how we've got this, this sort of uh, dichotomy going on? Well, it's, it's, sometimes things are unexplainable. Uh, I, you know, as Keeper of the Public Purse and State Treasurer in North Carolina, I'm, I'm, I'm just totally focused on, on, uh, on the people across this state, as I said earlier, many of whom think they're living with their hands, their back, and their feet. Uh, and, I'm, and I'm totally focused on the fact that it just seems like every time we go through an economic downturn like this, it's normally the, the fixed income and the lower income people that, that get hurt the worst. And uh, we are facing, uh, Don, uh, the greatest degree of food, job, health, and now educational insecurity that our citizens have ever faced. And any one of those is serious. What, uh, uh, of course, you know, from managing the, the pension plan, which is a huge pension plan, one of the largest in the world, uh, the stock market has uh, actually uh, kept you from having even more gray hair than you have on some of the other issues. Well, you say that tongue in cheek. If you want to compare gray hairs, we'll, we'll, we'll do that contest all day long. But uh, anyway, uh, and Jason doesn't have any yet. I'm surprised we haven't given him any. But uh, you know, uh, going back to he's got two children. He's got two children now. He's going to have some. Okay, uh, but they're they're angelic. So uh, going back to your other point, you know, uh, twenty percent of Americans own about eighty percent of the stock. Uh, but as it relates to the pension plan, uh, we're very pleased to report that uh, with all the angst and anxiety that people are facing in in their lives right now, the safety and security of the teachers and local employees' pension plan should not be one of them. We uh, just crossed $107 billion of uh, value. It's at an all-time high. It's billions above what it was trading at on St. Patrick's Day of this year. And uh, we remain in the check delivery business. So uh, we're very pleased that our, our pension plan did not go down as much as others did around the world um, and, uh, and that we've crossed all-time highs and we, we continue to pay out benefits to those that teach, protect, and otherwise serve. Our guest is uh, State Treasurer Dale Falwell, and we'll be back with another segment of Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. In small towns and big cities, from coast to coast, and around the world, 
Habitat for Humanity volunteers gather with purpose. Hand in hand, they come together. They may be strangers or they may be friends, but they are all builders of hope and homes. Hammers are raised, bricks are laid, dreams take shape, and another family finds shelter in a home they help build. Through their time and talents, Habitat for Humanity volunteers are helping change lives for the better, and in the process, maybe even changing their own lives as well. Together, we can eliminate substandard housing. Won't you join us? Support the work of Habitat for Humanity in your community or wherever your heart leads you. Now more than ever, please volunteer, get involved, and help build it. Visit us at Habitat.org. You've got your shades on, do you? So cool, so hip, so sheltered by frames of UV protection to show the world you are a force. But did you also know by wearing sunglasses you're doing your eyes a favor? That's right. Sunglasses help avoid overexposure to the sun, which can produce red eyes, a feeling of grittiness, even excessive tearing. But you, oh master of the incognito, are taking care of your eyes without even knowing it. For more easy ways to keep keeping your eyes healthy, see your optometrist or visit AOA.org. We continue with Carolina Newsmakers. Here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. Our guest is the uh, uh, 28th treasurer of the state of North Carolina, Dale Falwell. And uh, Dale, of course, has a background of serving four terms as a member of the North Carolina House, uh, uh, his, including two years as Speaker Pro Tem. And uh, he also, of course, served as the uh, uh, Assistant Secretary of Commerce uh, running the Employment Security Commission, and we briefly talked about the problems that uh, they have and will continue to have during this time. And fortunately, uh, Dale, that's a, that's a concern that while you are very interested in, you no longer have to have gray hair over it as far as operating. But let's uh, let's talk a little bit about, uh, uh, there's been a lot of news about the DOT having a, a huge budget shortfall. How did that happen, and what uh, what what or the implications of what's going to happen to correct that? Well, uh, this is beyond concerning for me as the state treasurer and keeper of public purse. I'm, 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 I'm grieving over the fact that the Department of Transportation in the last two years has overspent their budget by $2 billion. And in, in our old school terminology, uh, Don, I would tell you that they were writing checks they couldn't cash. In addition to that, they eviscerated the Highway Trust Fund by over a billion dollars. Now the Highway Trust Fund is something your listeners are familiar with because they pay taxes that go into the Highway Trust Fund, just like it's an unemployment trust fund. The unemployment trust fund in North Carolina had not been uh, tapped in nearly 15 years. And when I was sworn in as state treasurer and keeper of the public purse, it had over $1.4 billion in it. And as we sit here this afternoon, it has less than $200 million in it. And this is just a result of not watching the pennies in the paper clips. And it, it just reminds us of what the state auditor has now said of what I've been saying for the last two years. Not only were they writing checks they couldn't cash, but the, the whole system of the DOT is not just broke, but it's broken. And this by itself is one of the largest business enterprises in North Carolina of any type. And the people who use the roads, 
And the, the contracting industry who is, has the responsibility of employing people and buying equipment to build and repair roads and bridges, uh, they deserve a lot better than what we've gotten. Last October, as you know, um, from a previous Newsmaker show, I asked the governor to replace the Secretary of Transportation, and since then, the Chief Operating Officer and, and the Chief Financial Officer. Uh, most of those people have left the employment of the DOT. But the second thing that I asked for, which is even more important than the first thing, is that the financial spigot, the same spigot like you would have at the outside of your house, the financial spigot of the Department of Transportation needs to be removed from DOT to another department that the governor runs called Office of State Management Budget. Let the people at OSBM who understand spigots, who understand budgets, who understand revenue forecasts, who understands accounts payable, let them manage the financial spigot of the DOT and let the DOT folks focus on repairing and, and replacing bridges and roads. So that's how we got here. And what we're trying to do at the treasurer's office is we've been trying for over a year to issue more bonds on behalf of the DOT that the General Assembly authorized. But you can't issue debt on behalf of the taxpayers of this state or the DOT specifically, unless you're able to give credible financial information to not just the disclosure lawyers, but also the Security Exchange Commission and the rating agencies. So what we do every day on DOT is we're trying to figure out what's right, get it right, and keep it right on behalf of the taxpayers of this state. And all we're trying to do with the DOT is help them get out of the ditch, so to speak. Well, it's a, it's a deep ditch, and it, it's a little hard to comprehend as an ordinary citizen how uh, they can uh, get uh, in such a hole. But uh, as you said, I guess once that hole people start digging, um, it's easier to keep digging than it is to, to uh, stop digging. And, and uh, it's just, uh, I guess the best term to use would be it's, it's a mess. <laughs> well, it's a mess. Is that a good term? Yeah. And, you know, as I've said to you in the past, uh, this is like an onion. Uh, the more you peel it, the more you cry. Uh, the state auditor just reported five weeks ago that the DOT had illegally paid over 40 million dollars in salary increases and this is during all this time when the when they were writing checks they couldn't cash and they were broken broken now once the auditor came out with her report i have a great relationship with her and i called her and i said it's not just the salaries it's the impact on the pension plan so we had the actuaries do an analysis and showed that these 40 million in illegal uh, uh, pay increases resulted in $179 million of, of pension obligation. So it wasn't just the salary increases, it's the long-term impact on the state pension plan that never was considered. Can that be a change or is that uh, just something we're going to live with? The General Assembly could roll back those pay increases uh, any time that they're in session. Well, it's uh, that's, a, that's a big... Uh, that's a big uh, amount of money. And as you said, the rest of the pension is going to be paying for that for some time. And that's, uh, I'm sure, something that's very concerning to you and uh, should be to everyone who's listening to the program. I, I guess we're sort of fortunate that uh, interest rates are still uh, not only low, but uh, in many cases at all-time lows. And this 
This helps when you're in a time of deficit spending and, and uh, deficits. Uh, um, when you are putting out bonds now, of course, two things come into play, and that's our bond rating, and uh, but also just the general interest rate that uh, people are charging. That, uh, I guess, is still a little bit of the good news that's out there. It is, and uh, this is my Casey Case a moment, who I know you're a big fan of. And Don, uh, you remember, as I do, the uh, Paul Simon album called Kodachrome. Uh, and on the front of that album cover, uh, there was a two chairs. One was tied to a ceiling and the other one was on a floor. So I'm going to answer your question in the, in the, in the spirit of that album in that one man's ceiling is another man's floor. And, and as we appreciate the uh, being able to issue debt at historically low interest rates, near zero in some cases, uh, your listeners need to understand that the one man's ceiling, another man's floor negatively impacts the pension plan. Uh, this pension plan has nearly $35 billion, uh, over a third of its money is in things that earn interest. And uh, with uh, great respect to the person that I'm trying to be as good at, former treasurer Harlan Bowles, uh, when he was the state treasurer of North Carolina, uh, treasury bonds were yielding 10%. Well, the hurdle he had to jump over in terms of what he needed to earn to keep it perking was either four or seven. Well, when the hurdle is seven and a half in his case, and the treasury bonds are yielding 10, you don't have to be very athletic to jump over that. Uh, but obviously interest rates aren't at 10 today, they're at near zero. And it's one of the headwinds that the pension plan is facing going forward. Do you see uh, long-term, uh, how long will interest rates remain at this this level or even close to this level? Is this something that is uh, uh, permanent or something that is going to be with us a long time? Uh, it will be with us until people stop showing up at the auction to buy these bonds at this low interest rate. And uh, let me say a little bit more about that. <clears throat> Anytime we are competing against the Federal Reserve in some respects, the Federal Reserve is who's driving these interest rates down. Uh, the federal budget cannot afford for interest rates to go up <laughs> because interest costs are becoming, and other types of costs are becoming such a baked in part of our, our national budget. So uh, these interest rates will stay down until they don't is the, is the short answer to that. But I imagine that, you know, when people stop showing up for uh, uh, the, the bid on these bonds, because what's happening is people are buying the bonds at these low interest rates, and that's what allows them to keep selling bonds. Um, as long as that continues, these interest rates will, will, will stay down. But uh, any uptick in interest rates, uh, I don't think our economy is ready for it right now. Well, it's, uh, you know, for those of us who go back maybe as much as uh, 20 or 30 years ago when interest rates uh, on the 30-day, uh, 60-day, and 90-day loans got up to 16 and 17 percent, it seems like a wonderful thing. But as you said, it depends on whether you're a borrower or a lender. And uh, that, that's one of the things that uh, I guess we'll just have to continue to, to worry about. Uh, the state bond uh, rating in North Carolina, uh, will any of what's going on affect that rating? 
Well, uh, as I said earlier in the other segment, I wouldn't trade places with any other state treasurer. And, and uh, somebody got a real chuckle when I said this uh, last year about the rating agencies. I said, this is not a group of people that you wait for them to call you. <laughs> you call them. <laughs> and uh, when they call you, it's too late. And so I had a, a three great conversations three weeks ago with Fitches, Moody's, and Standard Poor's about where we are in North Carolina, brought them up to speed on the DOT issues, uh, what we're attempting to do to find the balance between focusing on the sick and not punishing the healthy in terms of opening our economy and <clears throat> driving the income, the gas, the sales, and the occupancy taxes necessary to, to keep our economy uh, growing in North Carolina. So uh, as far as these, uh, these interest rates and the rating agencies, we, we are still in good stead. Uh, as I've said, as, as long as I've been the state treasurer, uh, we would like, we would hope that every state would have a AAA bond rating. But if only one state has it, we want it to be North Carolina because of all the disparity that's out there among your listeners on different topics of conversation. There's one thing that I can assure you, Don, that every listener of your show agrees on. And that is if the state or the county or the city needs to borrow money for public education, public safety, public works, or public roads. Being able to do it with the highest credit rating and the lowest interest rates mean that you, means that you can get more of whatever it is you're purchasing, and that's good for everybody, no matter how they feel about other topics. I guess the State Treasurer Dale Falwell will be back with another segment of Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. The memory is shot. My legs feel like lead. Every muscle in my body is screaming. So why does everyone think the problem is in my head? Chronic fatigue syndrome can be as isolating as it is debilitating, especially when those around you don't understand what you're going through. If you're experiencing extreme exhaustion coupled with difficulty sleeping and concentrating, body pain and flu-like symptoms, you could have chronic fatigue syndrome. But you're not alone. More than 4 million Americans suffer from CFS, and most of them don't even know they have it. Log on to www.cdc.gov CFS for the latest research and guidance on diagnosis and management. That's www.cdc.gov CFS. Get informed. Get diagnosed. Get help. A public service announcement from the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. The entire world watched. They watched each step down the rungs of that small ladder, one after another, and waited with great anticipation for that last step. That's one small step for man, one giant leap for mankind. At that moment, humanity saw the impossible become the possible. And today, the sky is not the limit. Achievement. Pass it on. A message from the Foundation for a Better Life. Now, once again, with today's Carolina Newsmakers, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers. State Treasurer Dale Falwell is our guest. We've talked about all sorts of things so far. Let's uh, turn to one of the major uh, things that is seems like is always on the mind of so many people in North Carolina who are covered by it, and it falls under your uh, authority, and that is the state health plan for the state employees. Where do we stand on that? Well, there's a couple of things. Uh, some are operational uh, and some are, are related to the future. Uh, 
the state health plan uh, continues to have uh, plenty of reserves to get us through uh, COVID-19. Some of those reserves have been used as the, the Board of Trustees, as with the direction of the Executive Director, uh, D. Jones, uh, has recommended that a lot of the uh, expenses related to COVID-19, whether it's testing or treatment, uh, be completely waived. So we've uh, incurred probably eight to $10 million worth of additional expenses as these, um, as these uh, uh, services have been paid for without co-pays or deductibles. But you know, as uh, former Governor Jim Martin used to always tell us, Don, that doing right's rarely wrong. And when the Board of Trustees, uh, as well as myself, endorsed uh, eliminating these co-pays, it was the right thing to do for those that teach, those that protect, and those that otherwise serve. Long-term, uh, we are still fighting the cartel. Uh, the cartel, uh, you know, anytime that you struggle for the meaning of a word, if you go to the Bible or the Webster's Dictionary, one of those two books is going to set you on the right path. Uh, Webster's Dictionary defines a cartel as an association which is formed to restrict competition and or raise prices. And now that we've seen even more announcements since I've met with you last about the further consolidation of healthcare into the hands of fewer and fewer people, what we expect to see is what the New England Journal of Medicine and many other reputable uh, research think tanks have produced over the last several years that the further consolidation of healthcare in the hands of fewer, fewer people results in lower quality, lower access, and higher cost. What we're in favor of, myself as the state treasurer and the board of trustees of the state health plan, what we're pushing for is higher quality, higher access, and lower cost based on our buying power. And uh, the reason that is, is that on behalf of those that protect, teach, and otherwise serve, uh, many of our beginning level state employees are having to work one week out of the work month to pay the family premium this year. Now we have frozen those premiums for the last three years, even though our healthcare costs like yours at Curtis Media have gone up dramatically. We have frozen those premiums, but just because you freeze the price of something doesn't mean that people can still afford it or still maintain it. So we are continue to work toward clear, our clear pricing project transparency, getting rid of secret contracts, and pushing the power out to the consumer. The example that I've given uh, you in the past is that we have a teacher in Fayetteville, North Carolina, who was told to go get a, a particular image done, let's just call it an MRI. Um, and when they went to get the picture taken, the image done, the intake person said, that'll be $1,200. And the teacher said, I don't have $1,200. And she said, well, that's what the deductible and the, and, and the copay is and the teacher very nicely asked you know if I have if I had all that money what would be the total cost of this procedure and the lady genuinely answered and said well we don't know the answer to that we don't know what any of this stuff cost and that's what our citizens are facing across North Carolina that people really don't know the difference between what they're billed and what the charges and what the cost really are in healthcare, and What's so frustrating is that it's the only part of their life where they will accept this kind of model. You know, today, as you know, Don, uh, today is Senior Citizen Day at Harris Teeter. You and I know that if we're going to buy our groceries, we go today because we get our 5% discount. You know, people know how to consume if you give them the tools to consume. 
push the power away from the cartel, get rid of secret contracts. And in this fable example, uh, this individual took this negative experience and drove 21 miles from their house seven days later and got this same procedure done for $219. That's what happens when you give people the tools and get rid of secret medical billing and push the power down to the consumer because this is a leading cause. As Senator Elizabeth Warren said for several months this year, rising healthcare costs and the costs associated with healthcare are the leading causes of bankruptcy in the United States. And I'm sure that's probably true in North Carolina. Well, it's, it's all frustrating to those of us who get a bill from our, our hospital that said the charges were $1,000, your insurance paid 300, you owe zero. I've never really understood what happened to that other $700. So it's, it's uh, confusing all the way down the line. And part of the reason is because the consumer ends up in many cases with a zero balance. Uh, they don't get all that upset, but uh, uh, it does make uh, buying the services, as you said, uh, just sort of a, 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 a guess. Well, well, you're exactly right. And and since our we I was on your show last, I've got some fantastic news to report. Uh, we have three main areas of people that we have a loyalty and duty of care to on the state health plan. And very briefly, let me put this in context for your listeners. This state health plan has about as many participants as the number of people who work for Berkshire, Warren Buffett's Berkshire Hathaway, Jamie Dimon's JP Morgan, and Jeff Bezos' Amazon in the United States. That is the enormous buying power of this state health plan. It's about equivalent to those three companies combined. And we took advantage of that buying power recently because we have three segments of folks that we're loyal to. We have the active employees, we have the people who are retired but not yet 65, and then we have those that are over the age of 65. We just renegotiated our Medicare Advantage contract because uh, it had not been renegotiated in about four years. We put it out to bid, and I'm very pleased to report that uh, the bid that came back results in no change of services and the premium to the employee is zero and the premium cost to the state health plan is also zero. This one contract, Don, over the five-year period of time, is three years initially and two-year extensions, has the potential, this one contract for one group of our public employees stands to save us a billion dollars for the state health plan over a five-year period, just that one item. So sometimes when we watch the pennies and the paper clips, we end up with a big penny and a big paper clip. Well, that's, that's an amazing, of course, the, the, I, I couldn't follow the math because there are too many zeros in there. Well, you know, you and I have had a little back and forth from time to time about how many zeros you have versus how many I have, but I'm not sure you want to go into that today. <laughs> okay, okay. Uh, I, th- I, th- I thought I was going to get by an entire program without at least one dig, but uh, I see you got that one in and I'll, I'll give you that one, and I'll see if I can't come up with something later in the program to uh, to repay you for those kind of <laughs> uh, Well, at any rate, uh, so the health plan, uh, you, you work on it very hard, and of course, as you said, it's uh, it is a, a, it's another one of these things that uh, uh, is 
going to be a huge cost in the future. And so we need to start working on it now to be sure it doesn't get out totally out of hand later on. Well, you know, Warren Buffett said nearly a year ago that rising healthcare costs, <clears throat> these are his words, so I hope you're not playing this during dinner time. The rising healthcare costs are the tapeworm on the U.S. economy. <clears throat> and uh, as, as we start to, to take advantage of our largeness, get rid of secret contracts, bring transparency to healthcare costs, uh, we approach it like an ain't eating a ham biscuit, you know, one bite at a time. Uh, we've got about two and a half minutes in this segment left. Uh, you also have oversight over the state and community banks. And uh, a number of years ago, people didn't think there would be any uh, community banks, but that seems to have had a revival. There seems to be a, a significant growth in uh, smaller, uh, more statewide, I mean, uh, smaller community banks. Uh, what do you attribute that to? Well, you're exactly right. Uh, for the first time in 10 years, uh, we've had... Uh, some applications for state chartered uh, banks in, in North Carolina, and that comes under my responsibilities as chair of the State Banking Commission, which regulates all state chartered banks and savings and loans in our state. Of course, two of the, the, uh, the biggest state chartered banks in our state are obviously First Citizens and BB&T, now Truist. So uh, we appreciate them being customers of the State Banking Commission. But I attribute it to uh, the fact that, you know, it took 10 years to get past this the uh, great financial uh, uh, downfall of 2008, and now we have the creation of more banks. And But we need to make sure that we are understand the importance that banking is playing in rural North Carolina. We have a lot of fears right now about the access to capital, what's happening to farmers, for example, across the state. And this is, uh, this is the access to capital and the importance of state uh, charter community banks and savings loans is highly important. But we do have a growth in the number, and that's uh, that's interesting. It's very interesting to me. Well, it's and we're not losing any. <laughs> so we yeah. are we are very uh, grateful that uh, the the uh, combined board, as well as Kelly King and BB&T, uh, North Carolina uh, born and bred, uh, that uh, that they chose to remain a state chartered bank in North Carolina and not a, not federally chartered and not state chartered in a different state. That was. That was a choice that they made, and we're very thankful they made that choice. Our guest is Secretary, uh, sorry to say, Secretary of uh, the Treasury. Actually, you're the State Treasurer. That's the official title, and that, that would be one Dale Falwell. And we'll be back with one final segment on Carolina Newsmakers right after these messages. I can help the next customer over here. Oh, thank you. Hi. Wow, that's a lot of books. Let's see how to keep your child safe. Childproofing your home, childproofing your yard, childproofing your in-laws' home and yard. Well, I'm guessing you have a little one at home. Yeah. Well, it looks like you must take good care of her. Oh, thank you. Now, let's see. Parents' Guide to Safe Toys. That's a really good one. Parents' Guide to Safe Foods. Parents' Guide to Safe Safety Products. Parents' Guide to Parenting Guides. Don't throw the baby out with the bathwater and other safety tips. Of all the things you can read about keeping your child safe, the most important is attached to the back of their car seat. Read the instruction manual and learn to use the latch system. It makes it easier to be sure your child's car seat is installed correctly. Parents' Guide to Telling Other Parents How to Raise Their Kids. To learn more, go to safercar.gov. Anchor, tether, latch, the next generation of child safety. A message from the U.S. Department of Transportation and the Ad Council. When we get old, 
Will you take care of me if I can't get around anymore? Of course. We'll find a way. Are you going to take care of me if I can't see anymore? I'll read to you every day. And if one of us gets Alzheimer's disease, what then? Call 1-800-437-2423 for a free booklet on caring for your loved ones from Alzheimer's Disease Research. 1-800-437-2423. Carolina Newsmakers continues, and once again, here's Don Curtis. We're back on Carolina Newsmakers with Dale Falwell, our North Carolina State Treasurer. He's been with us a number of times, and a reminder that if you're listening to the stations that carry the 30-minute version of this program, you can go online and hear two additional segments, approximately uh, 25 minutes of content that uh, you're not going to hear on those programs. It's available on carolinanewsmakers.com, carolinanewsmakers.com. Or if you'd like to hear a repeat of the entire broadcast, you can also do that, carolinanewsmakers.com. And uh, we also archive all of our former programs. And so if you'd like to hear some of the comments of Dale and appearances on this program in previous times, you can also do that. Uh, well, Mr. Treasurer, we uh, said earlier as we started the program that uh, this is a different age and time and uh, people keep uh, talking about uh, returning to a sense of normalcy and, and maybe that's going to happen and maybe it's going to be a new normal. We don't know about that, but we do know that the COVID-19 impact has uh, a lot of repercussions. And so just basically kind of go over uh, what you think our, our state legislature is going to be faced with uh, over the next year as they look at uh, uh, shrinking income uh, sources of income and uh, probably rising costs. Well, uh, Thank you, Don, uh, for having me. And we were kind of uh, uh, talking uh, during the break about uh, you referring to me as the uh, Secretary of the Treasury. And, you know, that's where people most often see the word treasurer is on a $1 bill. Uh, we don't, I don't sign the $1 bill, but we manage $200 billion, uh, $200 billion of those. And just the pension plan is, is the 26th largest pool of public money in the world with over $107 billion. So to kind of go back to your question, uh, as I said earlier, I wouldn't trade places with any other state treasurer of a state that's our size. Uh, we have uh, still left uh, two billion of, of COVID CARE Act money that we're waiting for Congress to loosen the strings on so that we can be used to backfill not only state budget shortfalls as people have been locked down, unable to consume, therefore not generating the, the uh, income, the sales, the gas and the occupancy taxes necessary to fund things your listeners care about, public education, public safety, public works, and public roads. Uh, but we have that going for us. We have $2 billion budget surplus from the previous fiscal year that just ended June 30th. We have a billion dollars of rainy day fund. And, and even though it's not directly related to the treasurer's office, um, we have about $3 billion of unemployment trust fund. And your listeners out there who run small businesses and large businesses like Curtis Media, who understand what food and pseudo taxes mean, uh, you understand that having money in the unemployment trust fund is very important uh, so that uh, the businesses in the state don't hit, hit with those surcharges that they were hit for 13, the first 13 years of, of this century. They were hit with these surcharges to where they were getting charged more during economic downturns to retain and, and hire people because the, the surcharges kept adding up in terms of the payroll tax. So 
uh, we're in good shape, but uh, we're not in good shape if we don't get the policies right as we try to strike that balance between uh, flattening the healthcare curve and, and flattening the economic curve. Uh, we have citizens of our state who are facing the highest degrees of job, food, health, and now educational insecurity uh, that we've ever seen in our lifetimes. And, you know, they really don't give a darn what political party a person's a member of. They just want their problems solved. And uh, at the treasurer's office, uh, that's what we do. We attack problems and not people. And one of those major two things that we work on constantly is maintaining North Carolina's AAA bond rating and uh, keeping our pension plan well-funded for those that teach, protect, and otherwise serve. Now, has there been any uh, percentage given yet to uh, the counties and uh, uh, that they can sort of count on as how much their shortfall might be from sales tax yeah. for the next year? Well, uh, yes. Uh, Terrell County is, uh, as I've mentioned on a previous segment, uh, that's a county that you would go through to get from Raleigh to the Outer Banks. Uh, the, the number of people in Terrell County today is about equal to the student and faculty population at Myers Park High School in Charlotte, to give you some idea of how few people are living in some of these counties. Uh, what you don't know is that Terrell County, 52% of the land in Terrell County is off the tax rolls, 52%. So that means as the cost of running these governments go up in a post-COVID era, the number of people that you can actually tax is cut in half. On top of all this, and I hope this is going to be like a country music song, Don. I'll, I'm going to, it's going to burn you down a little bit, but I hope I can build you back up by the end of this segment. Uh, Terrell County has experienced a 25% decline in sales tax revenue. So let's get this straight. 50% of the property is off the tax rolls. That property tax is what's used to fund public education, public safety, public works, and public roads. Now they've experienced a 25% decline in their sales tax revenue, and there's, there's, there's not enough people to spread that out over. And that's why there, I have major concerns about what's happening in rural North Carolina, especially eastern rural North Carolina, as they try to flatten their economic curve going forward. And of course, while that's a small county, uh, other counties are facing the same kind of dilemma uh, to some degree. Almost every county is, is facing uh, that. Uh, the metropolitan areas, uh, of course, uh, sales tax uh, revenue is going to come down there too. What, uh, again, about 20%, is that the, the guesstimate at this point in time? Yeah, I, I think all in because it's, it's, just not, it's not just sales taxes, it's occupancy taxes. And uh, as I've said on your show before, we have two cities in the southern part of North Carolina. One's called Shalote and one's called Charlotte. And they're pronounced similarly and they're spelled similarly, but I can tell you that Shalote and Charlotte are in far different boats uh, as they try to flatten their own economic curves. And of course, uh, all of us are, are in state and county and city governments are balanced uh, are, uh, challenge with the balanced budget, only the federal government can dip into the till. And so we, I guess, will continue to look to the federal government and see what aid and assistance is going to come. And that's still pretty much being discussed as, as we speak. Uh, when do you think we'll know more about what kind of aid we can expect? Well, 
obviously, as, as long as Congress is not in session, uh, there won't be much going on. Uh, uh, as you, your listeners have uh, heard recently from your news broadcast that uh, the North Carolina Physical Research Team is, is saying that they won't have a good number uh, about what North Carolina's financial picture looks like because of the delay of the uh, income tax filing until not the beginning of September, but toward the end of September. So I think uh, possibly by Halloween, we should have a, a, a good idea of where we stand. And as it relates to these local governments, you know, their fiscal years ended on June 30th. So it's going to take them a while to get their audited, all their audits done uh, uh, going forward. But I just think that uh, as we move forward, that, uh, and I say this as, as genuinely as I can, uh, any of your listeners that really care about all these subjects we've been talking about, public education, public safety, public works, and public roads, if they have the ability to do so, go consume. And even if it relates to the registration of your car tag, you know, if you look at that registration statement, the two biggest expenses of that are the property taxes that go to the county and property taxes that go to the city or the volunteer fire department. So uh, anything that your listeners can do who have the ability to do so to consume would be very helpful. Great, uh, great words of wisdom. And uh, we very much appreciate you taking time to share uh, the state of our financial uh, well-being here in North Carolina. Uh, Dale Falwell is treasurer of North Carolina. And uh, if you'd like to hear a repeat of this broadcast, you can go online to carolinanewsmakers.com and, and do just that. And we hope to have another update from Dale and other folks next week when Jason Kong will have another interesting guest for us on this same group of stations all across North Carolina. Jason has uh, done a great job of keeping us all well informed. So the next week, same time, same station. Have a good week, everybody. Carolina Newsmakers is a production of NCN and is heard each week on a network of North Carolina's leading radio stations. To hear a repeat of this broadcast, go to carolinanewsmakers.com. Carolina Newsmakers is produced by Jason Kong. Network engineer is Alan Sherrill. I'm Scott Fitzgerald inviting you to join us again next week, same time, for Carolina Newsmakers. Newsmakers.